Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Yeah, of course. So what's up, you guys? I'm glad you're tuning in. So what's interesting is I my, I didn't really want to be an entrepreneur like right away. Like when, when I started pursuing my career outside of like college, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be a fireman. Right. And so I didn't get into entrepreneurship right away. And uh, what's interesting is the reason why I chose fire was because my my grandfather was in fire and I was like, you know what, this could be a good career I could choose. I could stay in shape. I, I could earn a good income, provide for my family. But what's interesting is after I was in that, after like six years, as I realized I couldn't see myself doing that for the next 20 years of my life. And so I chose this first career path where I was just choosing it just to choose it because I'm fresh out of high school. I was like, let me just pick a career, you know? Yep. And my heart wasn't in it. And I was like, you know what? Like what am I going to do? And I actually went through a year where I was sad. I was depressed. I was unfulfilled and I was just not happy. And then randomly someone one day showed me how to build a home-based business. And that was my first mentor. That was the first leader that showed up in my life that helped, like that was pointing me in the right direction. And the rest, you know, the rest is history. I made a decision from that day. I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn how to become an entrepreneur. I'm going to learn how to build a home-based business. And I'm going to take advice and learn from people who have the results that I want. And that was seven years ago. And so made a decision to change my career. And, you know, here I am today. Yeah, it's fascinating how many people don't know what they want to do in their career. They don't even know what career they want to do. And then you've gone from that. But then when you found something and how that clicked and what was the transformation like for you going from, I'm not sure what I want to do to finding it. What was that whole transformation like for you? It was very emotional because prior I was unfulfilled. I actually felt like depressed. Like I couldn't really see my future. I couldn't even, I didn't even want to go to work. Every single day I would wake up, I was like, I do not want to do this. And I was like, this is what life is about. And then when I was introduced to entrepreneurship, it felt liberating. It felt like freedom. I felt like a brand new person. It, it felt like being born again. I was like, wow, like this is what life is supposed to feel like. And I was like, no matter how hard this is or how long it's going to take to actually become successful in this new career path, I'm going to do it because it feels right. And so I was really just going with my gut feeling at the time. I knew in my gut that the first career choice I chose was not a fit. And the second career choice into entrepreneurship was a fit. And I was like, I'm just going to trust my gut, take a leap of faith and see what happens. Yeah. And so listeners, what Ryan's sharing is so, so great. And actually taking a leap of faith. And I think that for a lot of us, uh, we procrastinate, Ryan, whereby people sit back and they don't make decisions. 
And even if somebody's in a leadership role, entrepreneur, doesn't matter what it is, they don't make decisions. They uh, procrastinate about things and because they don't trust that leap of faith. What would you be your thoughts about people taking a step or a leap of faith? What, what do you think they should do? This is such a great question because when it comes to my leadership and me coaching people, I share a quote that I live my life by. And this quote is, risk going for the life you want or guarantee living a life you don't want. And that has helped me so much over the years because if you don't risk going for change in your life, going for a life that you won't want, you're just going to be stuck living a life that you're already living. If you don't change anything, nothing's going to change in your life. And so that's what I encouraged. Well, that's what encouraged me at the beginning. And now that's what I encouraged others. I was like, risk going for change. Like, you don't, life is so short. You know, we're already so many years into life. We might as well live the best life we possibly can, you know? So risk going for change is what you're saying, right? Yeah, risk going for change or guarantee living a life you don't want. Yeah, that is so powerful, team. Yes, I see so many people, and, and then they actually, what's quite funny is they actually will make excuses or they'll reason with themselves why it's okay to have them that guaranteed. And now, look, there are some people who love what they're doing and they're doing it day in and day out. Great, good on them. But there are so many people that you and I know, Ryan, that don't move on in life, don't do anything in life. They just stay where they are, and which is really interesting. So tell me something, how, how did you get into leadership? So when I first got into entrepreneurship and I mentioned that first leader showed mm. up in my life. And so there was someone in my life that showed up by example and was literally teaching me how to become an entrepreneur, teaching me how to build a home-based business, showing me the, the books to read, the seminars to go to, the mindset develop, to develop. That was the biggest thing is he was teaching me how to think differently, right? And what ended up happening is after I was just, you know, under this gentleman's mentorship for a few months and a few years is I ended up becoming different. I started right. thinking different. All my behavior started to become different. My habits started becoming different. The biggest thing I realized is when it comes to leadership, the first person I have to lead is myself. And that's what I wasn't doing previously in my life is I was just kind of going with the flow of society. I was letting society lead me. That's what was what was happening. I was letting society lead me. I was letting the influence of family, friends lead me. And when that leader came into my life, I was like, hey, you can build a home-based business. You can become an entrepreneur. He was leading me. But what he did was he passed the torch. He let me know that I can lead myself. And that's where it all started. I was like, wow, it's up to me to take charge in my life. It's up to me to become the best version of myself. And, you know, that was the start of my leadership journey right there. Yeah, Ryan, I think you could also flip the coin there based on what you're saying. That was up to you, right? And to take that. But he was passing the torch. So I think from a leader's perspective, it's our responsibility as well to really help develop others and give them the opportunity and show them the way as well, which I think is really, really important. And then they're actually doing that. Thank you, Dennis. That's uh, very kind. Welcome and good to be here. Great. Um, you know, it's a, a small welcome about uh, an introduction to you. Tell me more. Is there anything else that you want to share about your background? Well, I guess I've been really lucky that I've had, I guess, two stages to my working career. So there's the, what I would call the pre-university phase, and then there's the post-university phase. So 
where I grew up in, uh, in Bacargill and Southland, you know, I going to university was a, you know, for my family was probably a step uh, or a reach that was, you know, not necessarily achievable. And so I ended up working in a factory in a wool scour uh, in a carpet yard and I trained a pet textile dye and I did that for nearly 10 years before I went to university. So post university, I've been really lucky. I've done, a, you know, I've had some fabulous roles. I met some amazing people and I've had some life experiences that money can't buy in some respects. Yeah, cool. And what, what did you study in university? Well, when I, my first degree was in uh, a B-com in marketing and how that happened was that at the time when I was uh, working, I was working for a company called Bonds Hosiery. I was the die house supervisor. So I was 20, 22 years old thereabouts and managing a team of people. And I was the youngest by far. And I used to have quite a bit of interaction with the marketing team because essentially I would take their particular views on the color of the hosiery and bring it to life. And so I kind of thought, gee, that, that marketing stuff was quite cool. How, how do you do that? And so I had some conversations with this particular, with the marketing, one of the marketing team there, the brand manager, and that really set thing uh, alight for me. And then also the, at the time, Bonds started a graduate program and, you know, I got interested in talking to some of them and I realized that the opportunities that they were going to get versus the opportunities that I would get, because I didn't have that degree, were quite significant. So I was only ever going to progress. I mean, I was smart, uh, I guess, but and hardworking, but I was only ever going to progress if my boss liked me. That was it. You know, or I impressed somebody, whereas if I potentially had a degree, I could, you know, in my own mind, I thought, well, I'd have more control, more levers, then I could, you know, take the, make the decisions that I wanted to make accordingly. Mm, good. Oh, that's great to hear. And tell me something. Uh, so how did you get actually into leadership yourself? Well, it, it came on me at a young age, I think. So when I left school, I was 17 years old and I was being trained to be the diehouse supervisor, you know, a trainee cadet. And I got collared by this shift supervisor, uh, foreman. His name was uh, Ewan Tilson, and I've never forgotten him, ever. You know, he was a fairly hard character, tattoos when they weren't cool, you know, which signified that you were a hard man. He had one eye. He would be, I would say, late 30s, early 40s. But, you know, he was a smart guy that hadn't probably had the opportunities at up because of his background. And he collared me at 17 and pulled me aside and said, you're going to be the boss here one day. So what you need to remember is to treat everybody with, with the same respect that you want to be treated yourself. Now that's a cliche, but when you got you and Tilson, one eye covered in tats, um, a hard man looking at you hard, I thought I better listen to this. And so at that time I ended up running a, a night shift and it was a bit of a gamble for the, um, for the business at that time, they had a big production order in and they couldn't meet demands. And so I got, I ended up running the night shift for a couple of weeks and led a group of uh, guys and had to teach them everything in that area who had never actually been in that area. And we ended up delivering, over delivering all expectations. And it was simply because, you know, my leadership method was I set the example through doing. And so I worked hard and kept everything focused and they all just followed and, you know, that, that started really young. And then when I left home in Invercargill and I, I went to Wellington 
with Bonds Hosiery. You know, I was 19 and I suddenly found myself as the shift supervisor managing a group of people that were at least 10, 10 years older than I. So, you know, I, again, it was very much a style of leading by doing and, you know, trying to create a team where we actually all sort of supported each other. So I wasn't afraid of getting my hands dirty, in other words. And I learned those sort of on the ground, on the floor aspects really early. So that's when it started. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And tell me, I mean, because I think today you're also with the generations, multiple generations working in the workforce today. A lot of the younger ones are coming through as managers and leaders today. What was it like for you to have people who were older working for you? How was the transition for you and how was it for them as well? I mean, it was initially, it was, you know, I was a little bit daunted by it. I mean, I thought, God, you know, I'm 19. I'm from Invercargill. I've never been out of town. You know, hell, I'm, it's my first time on a plane. And yeah, you know, here I was in the capital city with these people that had lived a completely different life to me and in an environment that was completely foreign. So it was hard, you know, and it challenged me on quite a number of levels. You know, when I think back about it, you know, I, I guess I just, I didn't but dwell on it too much. I just got on and did things. And, you know, there was multiculturals and society in there, you know, big Pacifica, big Māori, a lot of Southeast Asian people, you know, so it was a real blending pot, whereas I'd come from a very monocultural background in Invercargill and Southland. So dealing with all that stuff was quite, quite interesting. And I guess I just, you know, my, you know, my style is one of collaboration and I think it started there, you know, it was, wasn't me, the boss. Uh, the big white chief going, now you need to do that. And when you've done that, come and see me. It was like, we've got to do this. Let's go and do this. And this is how, you know, I think we should attack it, you know? And so as a consequence, the teams that I led on that particular shift at that time, we became quite high performing in our own way. Yeah. But I didn't have the science behind what was going on. I just kind of, you know, it was, it was very granular. Yeah. And, you know, what you've said a few times already is that you just got on with it, right? And you were on, on the floor with the people, rolling your sleeves up, getting on with it with them, rather than sitting in the office and pointing fingers, if I can put it that way as, a, as an analogy. So yeah. it's a bit different. Yeah, exactly right, Dennis. And, you know, there was a little bit of that from that current supervisor who ran that department. There was you know, a little bit of remoteness there, whereas I was, I wasn't cut from that cloth. You know, I was very much like my dad, you know, just get in there lead by doing hands-on, you know, and as a consequence of that, people learn to trust that, you know, if I said I was going to do something or we were going to commit to something, we did it. So it, it kind of went from there, but it wasn't without its ups and downs, you know, managing various egos and some of the conversations I ended up having, you know, at 19 with some people that were, you know, in their early thirties about, oh, you know, sex education stuff. It was just start because, you know, they had, hadn't wow. had an education as such on some of the stuff. So they'd be coming to me and ask me, and I'm going, oh, <laughs> and amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I never judged them, you know, because that was, yeah. my background was working class and mum and dad worked hard and dad had his own business. My mum was a, um, worked in a shop and, a, and worked in the hospital as a cleaner. You know, dad had his own electrical business, you know, you know, he left school at 15 to start work. That was, that was that. So, yep. you know, as I said before, that whole notion of, oh, I'd like to go to university, it wasn't a conversation that we had. It was just, you know, got to get a job, son. Okay, right, cool. Yep. I don't know what I want to do, but this, yeah. Yeah, and it also, I think, sounds like, you know, also even at the age of 19, you built trust and rapport with those individuals. And so they felt safe or they felt good to be able to come and have a conversation with you, which is pretty good. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And I remember there was one particular person who she was Samoan. She managed, a, a, well, there was just the two of her and she managed a particular area in, uh, that fell under my realm that was absolutely critical in terms of getting the detail right and the, you know, and the information right. And she was known to be a hothead. You know, she could be incredibly just temperamental and fly off the handle. So I spent a lot of time building a relationship with her to the point that, you know, I was the one, that if there was ever a, a firework cracker went off, I was the one sent in to try and deal with it. But it didn't happen that often once I'd sort of come around because I just, you know, I just gave her the courtesy of time. Mm. And I think just listening, it's just, a, it's a really powerful thing. And I didn't even know I was doing it at that age, but that's essentially what I was doing. I'd go in and listen. I feel, and I think today, if you look at the, the leadership of the world today and what's happening around the world, people are wanting that right now more than ever. And so even think about it those days, you know, you're a pioneer in what you did there, right? And what's been happening today, people want to be heard. That, that's exactly right. You know, and I was having this exact conversation with um, a colleague yesterday and the notion of soft skills, the leadership soft skills. And going, can you remember hearing that you know, over the last decade or so? Well, to me, they've always been hard skills. That's where the actual, where the metal hits the road, to be fair, because you can have all the technical skills in the world and degrees and all the rest of it. But if you can't actually work with people, you can't actually bring them along, you can't actually create a culture and a team and all those things, which have traditionally been seen as soft, therefore not important, I think you're doomed to fail. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 